name is Lisa, for some of you who might not know me, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. Before we dive in this morning, I want you to think about a question. What are you known for? We all have that one thing, right? That thing that talking about makes our eyes light up, that thing that people come to you to ask questions about or advice on. What is that one thing? What are you known for? Last year, there was a sweatshirt making its rounds on social media, and it seemed like it continuously found its way back to me. It popped up in my inbox, it popped up on my Facebook wall. At the very least, my name was tagged underneath. And people that I had known from every stage and period of my life, some that I'd lost contact with, all came out of the woodwork to send me this sweatshirt. And after what seemed like the hundredth time of being sent it, I asked a friend who had sent it to me from college, I said, you know, you are not the first person to send this to me. In fact, I'm getting this sweatshirt more than I think I deserve to. And she said, no, Lisa, this is what you're known for. And this is the sweatshirt. Disney in my veins, Jesus in my heart. Guilty as charged because Disney is definitely one of those things that I'm known for. But this sweatshirt made me pause and I asked another friend, that knew me now, what am I known for more? Disney or Jesus? And I want you to think this morning as we dive into James chapter 2, what are you known for? And we're not going to put this text on the screen. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you start at the back, it's the fastest way to get to James. And if you don't, there is a fantastic Bible app. It's called YouVersion. It's in any of the app stores, Google Play Store. Y-O-U-Version. It's completely free. And so go ahead and download that. We're going to start in James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished, accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that people are justified by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without deeds is dead. Now, some of you sitting here this morning, you're like, Lisa, that's great. But you know what? I'm not even sure I believe that God exists. And coming to this morning service was just something my family does Easter Sunday. It's a tradition. And I'm just going to ask you to stick with me for the next few minutes. Because I believe with all my heart that Jesus is real and that he's God. And I'd love to answer any questions that you might have after the service. And we're going to get there, I promise. But first, let me pray. God, we thank you for Easter. We thank you that because of it, we can have faith. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I know that you are the one who is the giver of truth. And you lead us, guide us into truth. And so would you help us to be good hearers of your word? And Father, as always, I just ask that whatever would be coming out of my mouth of my own flesh, that, that those words would not even be heard. But only that which is spoken by your spirit, God, would take root and flourish in your precious name. Amen. Well, if faith without works is dead, then we can make the assumption that you have to have faith. Right? Faith has to come first. And really, that's the best part of the Easter weekend. It's the core of what Christianity is. Without this weekend, we might as well go home. So the Easter story was and is the most incredible climax and resolution of the greatest conflict that ever has been or ever will be. John Eldridge wrote a book called Epic, and he just kind of ties this whole story of Christianity to the greatest and most beloved stories that we have in our history. Showing how every single one with new plot lines and new characters is this echo of the one that our soul is desperate for. That Jesus is our greatest hero. The one that we are waiting for. That the tomb is the greatest triumph. But if we don't realize that we need a savior, we won't be bothered to look for him. So I want you to think back to that first question, what are you known for? And I want you just now to just narrow the audience. What are you known for to those closest to you? The ones who see you day in and day out who know everything about you, what would they say you're known for? Good and bad. So you think if you talk to Lucas or my kids long enough, you'd find out that I'm a control freak. I am. And I might be just a little bit stubborn. And on top of that, I'm a perfectionist. So really, the truth is that I can be a very tiring person to live with. But the base of Christianity, the base of this Easter story, is that we are all broken and flawed people in need of saving. And I don't know about you, but being a perfectionist, I would prefer to minimize all of my negatives. Right? If we just looked at them in different light, in a new perspective, I'm not a perfectionist, I'm just someone who seeks excellence. Now it's a positive attribute. 
Or maybe if I just read another book or tried a little bit harder, then I could rub off some of those hard edges. And we try, don't we? Because it's so much easier to just try harder than it is to admit the truth that I'm broken beyond hope on my own. Have you ever stopped to just consider all of your flaws? All of those things that are just inherently wrong within you. And as I was preparing for today, I just stood in my kitchen waiting for a coffee to brew. And I considered all of it. All of my brokenness. All of my sin. Every one of my flaws. And even now, I can just feel the weight of it. And it's staggering. And it aches. And it's uncomfortable because it's so true. And that weight, those things that I never had to be taught, but I just did, that hurt others, that hurt me, those things, that weight, that's sin, and that's why I need a savior. And the consequence of that sin is that I can't be in the same place as a perfect and flawless God. Because if I was, I'd be completely destroyed. Because sin and holiness cannot be together just like darkness can exist in pure light. I can't stand in the presence of a perfect God on my own. And so the only option for me is that I must be apart from him now and for eternity. The consequence of my sin is death. And that knowledge, that worth of who we are, that's necessary if we want faith. Because without it, we won't realize we need a savior. Without it, we'll just feel justified to just keep trying harder. Without it, we don't need help. We don't need Jesus. But I am loved, and so are you, by a God who knows every single one of my flaws and still chose to give up everything to free me from the mess of who I am. To take all that I deserve, that consequence, that death on his own shoulders. And that's what the cross is about. That Jesus took it all willingly. That being God, he was the only one that could pay the price for my sin and he did. And the fact that Jesus was alive is undisputable. Did you know that? There is historical records outside of the Bible that Jesus of Nazareth went to the cross. We have proof of it. But who do you think that Jesus was? And that's the question of faith. Because he was either God or he was the most skilled liar who ever was. He either was who he says he was, or he was someone who led thousands and thousands of people to believe in something so deeply, they willingly 
would die and still die. Who do you think Jesus is? Personally, I am convinced that he is God. So much so that I chose to give my life for this, to share that which I believe so deeply to be true with others. I believe that Jesus was born fully God and fully man so that he could take the penalty of my sin. And I believe that he grew up in our brokenness without ever compromising himself. So that in his perfection, he could be our perfect sacrifice. So that he could be the only one to appease the law. And the law was clear. Sin needed a blood sacrifice. No one's sin was exempt. And I believe that Jesus could have stopped the crucifixion in a breath if he wanted to. But his love for me and his love for you kept him on that cross until it was finished. So that we could be forgiven of all all we've ever done, all we ever will do. But I believe that the story didn't end there. And I'm convinced that the account of Mary and the disciples in the Gospels is true, that on the third day, when the friends of Jesus went to preserve his body, with all of their doubts about whether they would get past the guards, with all of their doubts as to whether they'd even be able to roll the stone away, and it's all there written out for us, that when they arrived, the stone was already moved. And they arrived to an empty tomb and an angel that told them that Jesus was alive. And I am convinced that when we read the accounts that they saw Jesus face to face, that it's true. I believe the evidence of the resurrection. And this morning, if you're skeptical about whether this is real or just some elaborate fairy tale, there's a great book out there called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, and I challenge you to read it. He was an investigative reporter whose wife came to Christ, and he was sure that this was all just some big hoax. And he found out that the way to disprove Christianity was just to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. And so he set out with one thing in mind, Prove it's fake. And instead, he found Jesus. And all of his interviews, all of the things that he found are in that book. And I'm convinced that Jesus is God and that he's alive and that he is not scared of your questions or doubts. In fact, I'm convinced that if you bring your questions and doubts to him, you'll find answers he promised it in the Bible. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, whoever you came with, I am sure that they would be happy to walk on that journey with you of who is Jesus? Who do you think he is? Because that's the only question that's going to matter. We each have to decide that on our own. And if you're alone here today, Lucas or I would be happy to walk with you on this road of finding out who you think Jesus is. So if we start with faith, because the assumption is we must have faith before we can have the deeds that go along with it. 
where do we go from here? So let's pick back up in verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. If we flip down to verse 22, talking about Abraham, we see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Here's my last question for you this morning. Is your faith showing? Now, I get caught up in this trap when I read portions of scripture like this because of my perfectionism. And I'll read and I'm like, I just have to try harder. I just have to be more, do more. And I don't think that that's what James is getting to at all here. James is asking, is your faith genuine? Show me. Prove it. What are you known for? Think back to that first question. How? How do people know that you're known for that? Why? If we think back to my Disney craziness, I'm a Diz nerd, that's the official word for it. I have Disney clothing. I have a Mickey Mouse purse. You come over to my house, you'll find Disney. In fact, if you get coffee, unless you use one of Lucas's three special mugs that don't have Disney, chances are you're getting a Disney mug because I have a very large collection of them. I talk about Disney. I post it on my Facebook wall and Instagram. If you bring Disney up in a conversation, I'm there. I mean, we used to have our TV on the same floor as our kitchen, so we could watch the Food Network. And Lucas, I was just uncanny, because the moment a Disney commercial could come on, I, like, I knew it. I could sense it from somewhere else in the house, and I was there. He knows it's true. He's just being kind. In other words, my Disney obsession shows. It's very hard to hide. You don't need to know me long before you'll figure out, wow, she turns this into Mickey Mouse somewhere really fast. And this is the heart of what James is saying. Is your faith showing? Are you living Easter every day? Are we people that are so overwhelmed by the sacrifice that Jesus made that we can't help but let him slip out and be on display? Do we show our faith every day? And this isn't for God's benefit, okay? Let's just, that's what my perfectionism would bring me to like, Jesus will love me more if I do good things. This is not for God's benefit. God knows your heart. God can't love you any more than he already loves you. And he won't love you any less than he already loves you. You are complete 
in him, by your faith alone, not based on what we do. As I was studying for this, Matthew Henry put it like this, and I loved it. Thus, we see that our persons are justified before God by faith, but our faith is justified before men by works. Is your faith showing? Let's think of it like this. Lucas loves motorbikes, right? You know that. He's talked about it. He might love them more than I love Disney. Maybe. No, that's probably not true. Now, I could say that I love motorbikes. In fact, right now, I could start this huge gush fest about how much I love motorbikes. But if I never rode on one, and I don't ever plan to, or if I never studied about them, or read reviews on different models or gear, if I never talked about them again, how long would you believe that I love motorbikes? Not long. That's why faith without works is dead, not a striving, be more, do more, try harder way, but in a, are you sure you love Jesus? Is our faith showing? Because if the only time that we come together and say that we love Jesus, if the only time that our faith is on display is when we're here together, then we have a two-hour, once-a-week faith. It's not an everyday Easter morning faith. Because when we love something or someone, it's apparent, right? Think of when you fell in love. For some of you, some of you, that moment's still coming. You couldn't help but smile when that person's name came up. You'd find little ways to drop them into the conversation. Little ways to spend a little more time with them. You'd make little tweaks and adjustments. And as time goes on, you find yourself sacrificing things that you would love for their good, like sleep. Put your spouse to sleep while you get up and keep the kids quiet. Moms in the room are saying, amen. We love our hubbies. When we love someone, we begin to think of how it's going to affect the us and not just the me. Is that how it is with Jesus? For some of us in this room, we've been serving Jesus for a long time. And once we felt that weight of our sin, we came face to face with that heaviness, the realization that we need a Savior. And we surrendered to Jesus. And do you remember what it was like in those early days? And you just, like, couldn't get enough of being in the presence of the Lord. When, remember my teenage years where we'd, like, give up beach time to go be in the chapel before the worship team at camp so that we could just pray longer. We could be in the presence of the Lord longer. Are you still there? 
And in March, he went away to conference, and I came face to face with the fact that, I'm going to be really honest, I'm not. I came face to face with the fact that devotion, serving Jesus, had started to replace some of that love of Jesus. And if you're this in the same boat, what are you going to do about it? For me, I just had to have a really honest conversation with God about the state of my heart. And together, because I believe God talks back to us if we're willing to listen, we decided that, you know what, for the next year, the questions I ask of him are not going to be performance-based. Not, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to love you today? You know what, this morning as I was spending time with God and I asked him that, do you know what he said? Take care of you. Look how much he loves you. And sometimes that's just letting how deeply he loves me wash over some of those really deep wounds in my soul. And sometimes that's just pouring out a love for others that I never knew I could have and never would have if I hadn't taken time with him. But where are you in your relationship with Jesus this morning? Not to strive in devotion to serve him. He wants us to just be in love with him. He wants us to have an Easter morning kind of relationship with him. That one that's impossible not to feel hopeful and joyful because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. The Easter morning where you just wake up and you just can't help but smile. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. It's amazing. That beginning butterfly flutters of new love kind of relationship. Is your faith showing? Because God isn't demanding more from us. He's just asking, do you love me in such a way that you can't help but show it off? And this really is the most glorious of mornings. Without it, the cross would have been in vain. Without this, the law wouldn't have been appeased. Without this, death would have continued to plague us and keep us bound. But Easter morning came, and now we get to stand face to face with the creator of the universe without fear of being destroyed. Because he is our covering and our protection. And now we can be with perfect light. Because he was our death. And he was our penalty. And we can call him Abba Father. 
and be confident that we can stand with him as sons and daughters. That's how much Jesus loves us. In Romans 5, flip there, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our spirits aren't at war with who he is anymore. We can have calm assurance knowing we're welcomed. And through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved us so much that he let it show. He was fully of who, fully aware of who we are, and he made the way for us. We weren't even good people for whom someone might possibly die. We couldn't even claim that. That's how great the love of God is for you and for me. And this is the hope of Easter. This is the good news of Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We let it show to anyone who is willing to see and hear. It spills out of a life overwhelmed, not a life forced, not another task to check off a to-do list by a demanding God. No, because we're people who love. We are people of Easter morning who can't help but share that which matters most to them. Let's be people known for Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for your great love for us. That you willingly went to the cross. But God, I thank you that you didn't stay dead. And in doing so, just allow your sacrifice to be a one-time thing that just forgave the sins of a few. But because you rose, because you conquered death. You are our sacrifice forevermore that appeased the law, that made a way for us to be friends of God like you called Abraham. And God, for those that this morning are sitting here and they're still just wrestling with who you are, I am convinced that you are real. And I am convinced that in every question and every doubt, that you are right there, whispering truth and proving yourself real. So would you open these friends' eyes and ears to know you and to see you, that they could decide for themselves who, 
you are. God, for those of us who have come to the realization that you are our Lord and Savior, would you help us to take account of our life? Are we known for you? Are we people who let you show out of love or out of devotion? And I thank you that, God, you are not one who holds our failures over our head. And just like you have been so gentle with changing my focus in my own life, I know that you are just going to be as gentle to my brothers and sisters sitting in this room. Because that's who you are. You are our good father. And we are people of Easter morning of hope and celebration and joy. And so right now, God, we delight in being able to join together to celebrate that you are alive. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand?